Amen. Let's give the Lord another hand clap of praise. We certainly want to thank the Cathedral Choir for ushering us into the presence of the Lord. Let's give them a hand. Amen, amen. We thank God for this opportunity to worship him today in spirit and in truth. Uh, we have been on this theme, um, uh, brothers and sisters, and uh, Pastor George talked about uh, searching for the sun on last week. And we wanna continue this, this theme uh, the question is, how does Christmas move from history into your life? Uh, that's what God wants for, for you and each of us. And that's why it happened. Pastor George talks about the Philip, Phillips Brooks offers us a prayer in the classic hymn uh, he wrote during a crisis in his own life. Oh, holy child, of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. This Advent, we pray that prayer together and discover what the Bible tells us, how we let God answer that prayer. So we, we want to rediscover the good news of Christ's birth and to open ourselves to the fullness of this new birth. Today I've been given the task to preach from the subject, born of God, born of God. And we're looking at John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. I invite you to stand and uh, it'll be on the screen or you can look at it in your pew Bibles. The Gospel of John chapter one, verses nine through 13. Let us read together. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him he came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. Amen. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God lasts forever. How does Christmas move from history into your life and my life? How do we avoid a routine Christmas? A Christmas where our heart is not really in it. Every year we have the opportunity to, to revisit the nativity scene and to think about what Christ has done for us. 
I would submit to you today that the new birth or the Christ being born is just as important as the resurrection. Because without the birth of Christ, there would not be a resurrection of Christ. Amen? And so we are introduced to really Jesus before the, the manger. Last week, Pastor George began to show us a Jesus that was 12 years old. Uh, now, I've been given the task to go beyond the, the birth of Christ and the pre-incarnate Christ before he wrapped himself, himself in human clothes. And this is such a beautiful passage of Scripture, John chapter 1. Uh, John is, presents so much information in his gospel, but John has been given throughout church history the, the symbol of an eagle. And perhaps John has been given that symbol because John takes us to higher heights about who Christ is, and he gives us this theological exposition of Christ before the manger, the pre-existent Christ. And one writer has stated that the early church, chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 18, was a hymn uh, that the early church would recite and would sing every Sunday. It was a hymn. As a matter of fact, the, the divisions of, of chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, is laid out in four strophes. It, it's, a, it's what we call stanzas, but it, it's like a dance with doctrine. And so when we look at this, this chapter, look at it as prose, look at it as poetic form, look at it as something uh, that we must sink our spiritual teeth into and make much of the pre-existent Christ. And this particular passage of scripture, verses 9 through 13, is the third strophe, the third stanza that we're reading today. And we have to keep in mind that John's mind is deeply saturated in the Old Testament. And so when you read verses 1 through 18, John goes all the way back to Genesis and begins to tell us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And he uses the themes, the same themes that's in Genesis, where he talks about light. He talks about the goodness of creation. But also there's a sense where John is uh, beginning to help us to understand that the, the Greco-Roman world has become intermingled with Judaism, and John wants to set the record straight that, that, that and he also wants to help those who are Jewish, but they, their minds or they are part of the Greek culture, to help them understand that Jesus is the real word, the real logos. So let's look at this, this passage and try to unravel what John is saying. Look at verse 9. He says, the, the true light, 
which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Uh, my first, the first thing I want to point out is that John makes what, we, what I would call, and what one writer has called, a stupendous claim. A stupendous claim. He says, the, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. For John to say that there is a true light would imply that there are other lights out there. Uh, for John to say that this is a, a, a true light uh, would imply that when Jesus comes into the world, that there are other lights that will challenge the true light. Uh, let's keep in mind here that, that Jesus, and John is pointing out here, that Jesus is from above, that he's very God of very God and he wraps himself in human flesh to become one of us. We are from below, we, we are formed from the earth, and so Jesus enters into our world, the true light. And John uses this term, the world, the cosmos, is very important to John. He mentions it some 78 times in his gospel. And it, it is, when the way he uses it, uh, conveys the idea that it is the sphere of creation that lives in rebellion, that there's darkness in the world. So John begins to help us to understand what this true light represents. He says, it, en it enlightens us. The, the Greek word here is fotizo, to light up to expose, to bring to light. And so Jesus' presence into the world, his entrance into the world is to light up, to expose, to bring those things that are in darkness to the light. John begins to help us understand the, the motivating factor behind Jesus coming into the world. As a matter of fact, Bernard of Clairvaux in the 10th century tells us that there are three advents, three advents that uh, points to the reality of who Jesus is and to his coming uh, into the world. Uh, the first advent is to humankind, uh, into humankind. And so, and then the second advent is against humankind. So to humankind, into humankind, and against humankind. And to humankind represents uh, that which God comes into the world to seek and save that which is lost. And so that's, that's God's, that's Jesus' primary purpose to uh, to come into the world and to seek and save that which is lost. Secondly, uh, into humankind is that advent by which Christ is present in our souls now as Christians. And this 
is taking place every moment of our lives for those who, of us who have already accepted Jesus Christ. Uh, so it is into humankind. And then there's a third advent is when he comes to take us to himself at the end of time. So these three advents are at motion according to Bernard of Clairvaux. And the question comes today, and, and some of us, one of us may find ourselves in, in those, those different categories, to, in, to humankind, into humankind, and against humankind. And that's certainly what is being um, entertained in John's gospel, because there are those, Jesus comes in John's gospel to humankind, to seek and save that which is lost. But then there are those uh, into humankind, those who already know Christ, who have received Christ, that there is a, a sense God wants, to, uh, wants us to reinstitute or reimagine ourselves or reengage ourselves into the life of Christ. But there's another sense where Christ comes, that second coming, to receive all of those who have believed in him. This is what John is working with as he talks about the true light. But what does this mean to us, this true light? Because that implies, even in the 21st century, that there are other lights. There are other lights. Excuse me, that's my notes. I better put this back up here. <laughs> and there, there are other lights. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, Greek philosophy stressed how true reality was only the rim above and everything in our world was merely pale shadows and reflections. This is in the back of John's mind as he writes uh, this gospel, that there is a dualism between that which is above and that which is below. That which is above is good. That which is below is evil, is a fleshly, uh, flesh, fleshly connotation. And so to Greek philosophy, the world was negative and evil. But John, John is, is more subtle here. The world is positive. The good creation of a loving God. But it becomes, it becomes negative when the world rejects Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So it becomes negative when, when the world says, I, want, I don't want to have anything to do with the Savior you are talking about. And so how do we deal with this in the 21st century? Well, we as Christians know that Jesus is the true light. But those who don't know the Lord, for some, true light is politics. For those who don't know the Lord, for some of them, they, they, they are enlightened by politics. Politics has its place, but that's a light that flickers. <laughs> Amen, somebody. <laughs> for some, uh, education is a, a true light. 
to rub our heads against the walls of academia, to get all the education we can. But that, that light, that, that thing that we, that it, it, it flickers. It, it does not meet up to the true light, which is Christ. Some of us, some people look at the true light when we are on social media through Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all of these other social medias and we, 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 we have to watch our screen time and how long we've been on Instagram because we look at it as true light. But it's a light that digresses, takes us to places we don't want to go and places that we shouldn't go. There are other lights out there that, that, that the world and people around us ascribe to, but we as Christians know the true light. All of these other lights enlighten, just as it did during John's time, but John wants us to understand that Jesus is the true light that enlightens everyone coming into the world. So, brothers and sisters, that this true light which enlightens everyone, we as Christians, out of all people, should be obsessed with this true light, should be infatuated with this true light. See, John makes this stupendous claim because he knows he's going against the grain of Greek thought. He know he's going against the grain of Judaism, which has wedded itself to Greek philosophy. But John meets people where they are, and that's the reason he uses the word logos, because Greek philosophy, logos, was the love of philosophy. And it was, it's the love of reason. But John tells us that reason resides in Jesus Christ, wisdom resides in Jesus Christ. So philosophers applied the enlightenment to the revealing of philosophical truth. Jesus, uh, Jewish people applied it to the gift of Torah, but early Christians applied it especially to the reception of the gospel. Reception of the gospel. It says in verse 10, he was in the world and the world came into being through him Yet, the world did not know him. They did not know him. In other words, when Jesus came into the world and, and the world did not receive him, they had no understanding of who Jesus was because he did not come the way that they had expected him to come. He did not show up in a king's palace. He, he was not born from royalty. He did not have the pedigree of those, uh, 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 those who were in the king's palace. He did, not, he did not come in great with great means. He came and was born and raised in a ghetto. And here we are. When we think about Jesus, we don't think about the humble means by which he was born. 
And that means, brothers and sisters, that says something to us in terms of how do we receive those who were born on the other side of the tracks? How do we receive those who, who were born in the ghetto? How do we receive those who, who grew up with, with humble means? And some of us, even in this sanctuary today, grew up in humble means. We know what it's like. And here we are worshiping the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. And you didn't get here overnight. God blessed you with an education. He blessed you with some things that, that, that you did, wouldn't able to get by yourself. God blessed you to get where you are today. And so it's important to, for us to remember where we come from. Amen? Yeah. So although Christ created the world, the people he created didn't recognize him. Even the people chosen by God to prepare the rest of the world for the Messiah rejected him, the Jewish people. Although the entire Old Testament pointed to his coming, they still rejected him. But how do we get to this, this point of being born of God? I'm glad you asked that question. But you have what you call, you have here a stupendous claim and you have a, a massive rejection of Christ, but you have a glorious invitation of Christ. Look at verse, verse 12. It says, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power. Where power is translated as the right it comes from the Greek word exousia. He gave them the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. So to all who received him, what, what John is telling us is those who rejected him, uh, Jesus said, okay, I'm going to shift my attention to, to the remnant that the ones whom God has given me, I'm going to shift my attention to those who may not be Jewish. I'm going to shift my attention to, to the Gentiles. I'm going to shift my attention to those who receive me. So Jesus, the good news here is that there, there is a glorious invitation and that this, this concept born of God is not something that can be discovered in a laboratory. It's not something that we can figure out. It's mysterious. It's something that God does. God initiates what we call the new birth. It's something that is miraculous. It's something that God does. It's something that God institutes. God, uh, Paul says, while we were yet sinners, God, Jesus died for us. In other words, he took the initiative. So that verse, verse 12 is a summary, as one writer said, of the second half of the gospel. See, when we read verses 9 through 13, the, the curtains, the, the, the curtains of human reality is lifted up and we begin to see uh, the motivating factor behind what God wants to accomplish in the world. He says, 
Although his own people did not accept him, Jesus called together a group who believed in him. And to these he gives authority to become children of God. Now, God only has one son. And this is where Paul and John uh, begins to talk about the, the, the concept of adoption. We were grafted in. We were brought in into the family of God. And this is what Richard Burge talks about, that, that this rebirth, this, this spiritual rebirth of God is, is not, a, not a sense where we are born like Jesus is born as the only begotten Son of God, but because of Jesus, we were grafted in and called the children and sons and daughters of God by way of what Jesus has accomplished. One writer put it this way, all who welcome Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives are reborn spiritually, receiving new life from God. Through faith in Christ, his new birth, this new birth changes us from the inside out, rearranging our attitudes, desires, and motives. Phyllis Brooks said it well, be born in us today. But once Christ is born in us, we have to raise the Christ in us. He can't just stay a baby in our lives. He can't just stay a, a baby in, a in our lives. A, a baby has to grow up. And to some of us, he's still in the crib. Some of us, he's a toddler. He's reaching for things. Amen, somebody. Some of us, he, he's a toddler and he needs a, a, a pacifier in his mouth. Some of us, he's a 10-year-old. He, he's, he's been raised and he's, just, he's beginning to understand a little bit about life. And for some of us, he's a teenager. He's establishing his independence. As my grandfather used to say, he, could, he can smell himself now. <laughs> Amen, somebody. So for Christ to be born in us, he cannot stay a babe. He has to get out of the crib. He has to be raised. And I love what Cyprian said. He says, no man can call God his father if he doesn't accept the church as his mother. Cyprian understood it well because the church is the place where we, we grow up, where we mature. It's the place where, uh, where Christ raises us. That's why we come to church every Sunday. That's why we're in Bible study. That's why we're in Immerse. That's why we, we're in small groups, because we cannot stay babes in Christ. John is saying that this gospel is written that, that you might believe, but believing doesn't stop in the manger. Believing takes us from, from the womb to the tomb. Believing takes us from, from being a, a, a baby to being a, an adult, a mature adult. 
So we must play a role in raising the Christ in us. And I don't know where, where you are today. I don't know what is going on in your life. But understand this, being born of God makes you spiritually alive. And there may be areas in your life right now that are dormant. And God wants to, wants to awaken that area in your life. There may be areas in your life, in your spiritual walk, and, God, and, and we must pray and say, Lord, what area in my life that you're trying to, to awaken me that has been dormant for years? And most of the times that, that comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're just like the rich young ruler. He thought he had it all together, but Jesus said, that's one thing you lack. That's one area in your life that's dormant. And that's one thing that's keeping you back. And it's your possessions. What's keeping you back? What do you need to do to be certain of your relationship with God? What will you do this week to better enjoy your status as a daughter or son of God, a child of God? How should the reality that God became a man affect your life today? So just as the word became flesh and dwelt among us, in a real sense, the word must become flesh in our own lives. And there must be this, this, this gap between our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy that must merge. We cannot just believe, but we must behave like we are children of God and that we are precious in God's sight. You know, there's a story that Tony Campolo tells about uh, a little girl. Her and her father were in the house, and it was, it was thundering, and it was lightning. And she was up in a room, he was downstairs, and, he, and it, the thunder uh, just was so loud, the lightning was so bright. So he thought he'd go upstairs, go to his daughter's room to find out if she's okay. And there she was in the windowsill, the body stretched out like this, smiling, and he says, what are you doing? She says to him, well, Dad, I thought with, with it thundering and lightning, God must be taking a picture of me. <laughs> this little girl understood that she was precious in God's sight and that she, she wasn't afraid of thunder and lightning because she thought God was taking a picture of her. I want you to understand today with every area of your life, whether you are a toddler, whether you are a, a, a baby, whether you are 10 years old, or eight, God takes a picture of every stage of your life because you are precious to him. You are the apple of his eye. We see this in the nativity scene. We see this in the gospels that God wants us to know today that we are precious in his sight. And it could be today that God wants to take a picture of someone. When you, when you first accept him as your savior. God may be tugging on your heart today and there may be this moment where you make a decision to follow 
Jesus. You make a decision to become a follower of Christ. And there, there are ways that you can become a part, part of, this, uh, of us and part of, of Jesus' family. You can go to upc.org slash Jesus. Or you can come today after the service where there will be those who are here to pray with you and say yes to Jesus. Oh, you could be online, upc.org or online, and say, I want to say yes to Jesus today. Maybe Jesus is tugging on your heart today. He wants you to be born in him today. He wants you to be born again. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for what our eyes have seen and our ears have heard. And Lord God, we thank you for the privilege, the mystery of being born of God. Lord God, would you touch some man, woman, boy, or girl today who may not yet know you, but you are extending the invitation to them today to be a part of your family, to be born of God, to experience the new birth. Lord, would you draw them closer to yourself Draw them to yourself, Lord, and whatever obstacles that keep them from coming, convince them that this could be the best decision, will be the best decision that they will ever make. In the precious, pleasing, and perfect name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.